Well, good evening. It's good to see you all here. Hope you guys had a wonderful Easter. It was a great time, wasn't it? A, a great time together. It was so neat. Uh, just everything from Kelly, the skit, the music, the video. Um, Joe is signing autographs if you want. Uh, had to Joe, sorry. Um, anyway. It was a great time, and I'm glad you guys got to, those of you who were here, got to enjoy it. And I'm glad you're here tonight. Actually, we're continuing our conversation on spirit and, and the spirit of God. And I, I think tonight what I want to talk about is probably one of the transitional aspects. We, we've been looking a lot at the spirit and how God is desiring to work in our lives, we kind of have this idea of what is spiritual. I love this chalkboard, uh, even though I can't spell. So, spiritual. And, and then we've got the idea of material. And many times we find ourselves thinking just in this area of material. This is where we live. You know, we have the tangible things, the things that we encounter on a regular basis. And so our focus is on this. But what we've been looking at is when God created us in his image, he created us to be spiritual. And that includes our body. Remember, Hebrews says that he made everything that is seen out of what is unseen that the visible was created out of the invisible. And so it's not that God created everything out of nothing. God created everything out of basically himself, from what was of him. He spoke, it came into being. And so it was all along in the, the mind, the imagination, if you will, of God, all the things that we see. And when God created us, even our bodies are connected to a spiritual element. We are not just material. And, and as I have said and will continue to say, we are not physical beings with a spiritual appetite. We are spiritual beings with physical appetites. And we have become so disconnected that this becomes everything that we see, everything that we worry about. And so when we start to go through something, we're frustrated, our lives feel out of sync. A lot of times what we do is we try and, you know, well, I'll eat better, which is good, and I'll exercise, again, both good. I highly recommend them, even if I don't example them. Um, we, we start to see that these things, you know, help us, but that's not all that we need. It's not all going to be answered here. And so we try to develop language to help us connect to this spiritual. And so a lot of times people will use words like energy. You know, God is, I actually just spoke with someone again recently that sees God as an energy, as their force. But we've been looking to see how God isn't an energy or a force. God is a person. And when we say a person, not like a human, but as a being, a person who actually cares, a person who actually is involved. We, we desire a person who will forgive. We desire a person who will love, a person who will be 
empathetic with the things that we go through. And a force just isn't very empathetic. At least I haven't met any empathetic forces. Most of the times when I've dealt with electricity, it's been very unforgiving. <laughs> or those kinds of things, the forces. And so we, we've kind of talked about these things and the aspect and trying to break down this barrier of how we see material and how we see spiritual and see that they are indeed connected. We are created in His image, body, soul, spirit. And the spirit is always at work in us, not just in a subjective way or a spectacular way that we talked about last week, that the Spirit of God doesn't just work in the extremes, but that the Spirit of God, even as Galatians tells us, Galatians tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, self-control that the Spirit of God works in character, that the Spirit of God gives us that character. And so we talked about how important character is. And we talked about how the Spirit of God gives us wisdom. And that the Spirit of God also gives us gifts and discernment. And so as we become people of character and people of wisdom, People who are now connected to God, we see that God is able to use the gifts and the subjective things, the things that we can see, the things that show up, the miraculous things, the things that we would probably put on this side, start to become a part of our lives. It's not that those things don't take place, but they take place in concert with these things. And that usually these things are at the foundation of the manifestation of God. And it's important for us to to do things in this order. Otherwise, what happens is God becomes a, a kind of a, a tool for us to use to get an emotional fix. God becomes something that is just, I don't know, emotional. And not that emotions are wrong, but God is more than just there for our emotion. And the Spirit of God is not a force or energy where it just gives us something. The Spirit of God, He is wanting to change our lives. And we've looked at how wherever we see the Spirit of God in Scripture, we see that something magnificent happens. That life generated in the creation at the beginning that the church was born in Acts chapter 2, that God moved and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so wherever we see the Spirit of God showing up, we see something powerful happening. And remember that the word that's used for spirit in both the Hebrew and in the Greek can mean spirit, can mean wind, and can mean breath. And that they're interchangeable. And so when it says that he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, it could be that he put his wind in them, that he put his spirit in them. They were filled with the wind of God. They were filled with the breath of God. They can be used interchangeably. And it's both in the Greek, which is the word pneuma, or in the Hebrew, which is the word ruach. And so... This work of the Spirit that's taking place 
in our lives as he is working in our lives is meant to cause us to grow and to bring life to us. Because where the spirit moves, life happens. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. We're at a place in Israel's history where they are exiled. They are in a place where they are controlled and they're kind of pawns in the game of the Egyptians and the Babylonians. And Israel is finding that they are not the people that God had intended them to be, the people that they desire to be, the people that would influence the world. Remember, God gave a promise to Abraham and said, through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And here they are not blessing anybody, but basically are enslaved. And it doesn't seem to matter if it was the Egyptians, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Romans. The Jewish people seem to have more time and struggle in this area of slavery and bondage than they did in freedom throughout the scripture's history. And now is no different. What we're reading here in chapter 37 of Ezekiel. And so in verse one, we read, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? So we see here that the the spirit of God is speaking out to Ezekiel and he asks him a question. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel doesn't answer with a yes or no because he's pretty savvy. I mean, if he says yes, God can say, okay, go for it. Make them live. And then Ezekiel's like, well, and if he says no, it's like, well, don't you have faith? So Ezekiel just kind of says, you know. And really he's saying, this is beyond my pay grade, okay? I don't know the answer to this question but you do. And so he relinquishes this question to God and he said, you alone know. Verse four, it says, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. And you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. There was no spirit in them. There was no wind in them. Then he said to me, prophesy 
to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds and breath into, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. And so here we have just this insane picture. This wild understanding as Ezekiel just is commanded by God to do something that seems kind of strange to me. Think about it. Why does God have to have a middleman? Why does God have to have Ezekiel? Why can't God just say, stand back, Ezekiel, watch what I'm going to do? He doesn't. He says, prophesy to these bones. In other words, make a declaration. Proclaim to these bones. To come together. And they do. He, he tells them, and as God asks him to proclaim, what he's doing is he's telling, I want you to, to proclaim a reality that does not yet exist. I want you to speak something that isn't there. I want you to proclaim a future that has not yet been realized. And you see, God isn't the one doing that. God is giving this to Ezekiel to do. It's coming from God, but it is going through Ezekiel. And that is how God works, is through his people. The church is the vessel that God uses. It is the tool how God is going to reach the world. It is through people that God accomplishes His work. God is constantly doing this, working in this manner. Remember, Jesus rises from the dead. He's raised from the dead. He says, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And what does he say? Go. You go. So Ezekiel, 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 prophesy to these bones. Declare to them to come back together. Why does God speak to Ezekiel and then wait for Ezekiel? It's the way God works. And it's something that we have to recognize because what's happening is the Spirit of God is speaking to a person of God to make something materialize that is not yet seen. 
God is wanting to do something. His spirit is moving on a person. The person of God is speaking to a person because we are spiritual beings so that his work can be accomplished and actually materialize and be seen in life. You know, Second Chronicles 69 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is looking for people whose hearts are committed to Him so that He can speak to them so that they can do the work that God is wanting to do. You see, the nation of Israel was called by God to be this light to the world. Here they are in exile. Here they are enslaved. How is that going to happen? And God speaks to a person and says, declare it. He then goes on. It wasn't enough for the bones to come together. There had to be breath in them. And why is it required you know, to be connected to God is to be connected to the Spirit of God is because if we're not connected to the Spirit of God, we do not have the life of God in us. And so it's important that we recognize that a lot of times what happens is we are just bones. We're just tendons. We're just flesh we we have bodies but there is no life in our bodies and, and so many people uh, again live and walk and, and breathe in this world but they do it without life without the life of god and, and so jesus's words i have come that you might have life and people would raise their hand and say wait i i already got life look at i am breathing i'm alive but he's saying, no, you don't understand. You're, you're like bones. You're like tendons. You're like flesh. But the life of God, the breath of God, the wind of God is not in you and moving you. You are not alive in God. And so many times we live in that way. And again, we, we try to answer our life by the material, by the physical. And so you have belief systems that try and deal with the struggles. We went through this when we went through our series, The Truth Between Us, and we talked about how there are some belief systems like Buddhism that want to eliminate suffering, and so you have to detach yourself from everything that is material because it is the material things that draw you into the emotion that cause the pain. And if you can detach yourself from that material, then you can be free from the pain that people go through. And so we try to answer this problem. Why am I walking bones, tendon, muscle, skin, but I'm not alive? And I have this desire for something more, but what is it? And it has to be the Spirit of God, the breath of God, breathed in us that actually makes us a God, makes us alive and makes us alive in God. You see, the Spirit of God is here so that we can have communion with God. But for there to be communion with God, there needs to be communication. And so the Spirit of God is to bring us into this communion with God. 
But for there to be communion with God, there has to be communication. And you guys know this in relationships, right? If you're going to be close to somebody, you have to be able to communicate. Any of you ever get in trouble because you don't communicate, but you try and <laughs> try and commune without communication? You can fill in the blanks what that means. There has to be communication. It is where communion begins. And so the Spirit of God is there to bring us into this area of communion with God, but there needs to be this communication with God. And you can't move to a level of intimacy with people or with God without mastering this art of communication. Remember the whole idea that we talked about in maturity. A spiritual, mature person isn't a person who knows a lot. It is a person who hears what God says and does it quickly. That's a spiritually mature person. So when God communicates something to you, like to Ezekiel, speak, prophesy to the bones, He does it. He doesn't say, well, I don't know if I will. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I don't want to today. I've got a lot on my calendar. He does it. God puts on your heart to do something and you do it. That shows a sign of maturity. That means you're in communication with God. That's where you see the level of communion you have because the communication that God speaks to you takes effect in you and produces something because he is able to communicate to you. Jesus said in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Why would he say that? always struck me as weird. Well, you'll be my friends as long as you do what I say. That was like the kid you know, I would fight with in sixth grade. You can be my friend, but first give me your money. It's like, well, that's not nice. But that's not the point. Jesus is making you are my friends if you hear what I say and what I say has an effect in your life. Then you're my friend. Then you have communion with me because we have that communication. And so what we need to take place in our lives is communication. Communication with God. And again, Israel's history, they, they've known themselves just in this place of slavery. And what God is asking Ezekiel and us to do is to believe his words that there is hope. He's telling Ezekiel, I want you to believe what I am telling you to do and not what you see. Because what you see right now is, man, we're captives. We're in exile. This is all I see. Things look bad. And God is saying, I want you to see something. It's invisible, but I'm declaring it. And I want you to have this belief. Now, Ezekiel's time in the, the conversation that was taking place, it had to do with the nation of Israel. But the same thing is taking place with us. God is speaking into our lives and he's asking us to have hope in what he says to us. And so I want you to take your situation and I want you to put it side by side with where Ezekiel was and what he was dealing with. Seeing people that were just away from God, 
people who were in despair because of the oppression that was there. I want you to see your life and maybe there are things that are similar. You find yourself in a depressed state. You find yourself feeling captive and, and in bondage to the things that are around you. And then God would speak to you like he did to Ezekiel and says, I want you to proclaim to these bones to come together. I want you to see something that is not real yet, but I'm telling you to make it real. I'm giving the command to you to believe in me that this is going to be a reality in the world that you live in. And what God's asking him to do and he's asking us to do is to believe in hope. I'm the God that has for you a future and a hope. I'm the God who loves you, who has purpose for you. I am the God who is created you in my image to have communion with me. And for this to take place, I want you to hear what I am saying to you and I want you to do it. Jesus gave the illustration, a man who hears my words but doesn't do them. It's like a man who builds his house on the sand, the waves come and the seas crash up against it and it's ruined because there's no foundation. It's not connected to what is real. But the one who hears my word and does them, that person's house is built on a rock. It's built on something of substance. It's built on what God has said. See, it's God who loves us, who is asking of us to believe in what he says about us. The one who takes darkness and brings light. The one who takes despair and brings hope. The one who takes death and brings alive is the one who's asking us to believe in him and what he says about you and what he says about me. To see what he sees and not just what we're used to living in. To have eyes of faith to take us out of captivity and bring us into freedom. There are people I know, and Sunday was great, even in the video where Joe Colleen and Alyssa shared about their journey from this place of basically captivity to a place of freedom. And there was a time when they didn't even know that they were captive. There was a time where they were just dead to that, where there was no communion, there, there was no communication with God but then something changed and God brought them to a place out of that captivity. And, and you see, God saw in each of those people and God sees in each of us who we are supposed to be. He sees us created in his image and he sees the potential that is in us. The problem is we don't see it. The problem is we don't believe it. You, you don't understand God. I can't do that. I, I've been addicted for years. You don't understand, God. I can't do that. I, I don't have the resources. I don't have the job. You don't understand, God. Those bones are dry. 
You don't understand, God. It is impossible. And God doesn't just say, well, here, I'll change it. God says, speak to the bones what I am telling you. Tell them to come back to life. Tell them to come together. Tell them to be reunited. And God is telling us, proclaim what isn't material, what isn't there right now, but is what I am telling you. Who I am telling you that you are. Proclaim the life that I am giving to you. Turn with me to John chapter 16. You know, Jesus understood the difficulties that we have and understanding how we get so trapped in this material. And the disciples, I mean, fortunately, they had Jesus. And doesn't that seem like a great plus to actually have Jesus there? Because now you have I've got material that I can connect to the spiritual. Go ahead, make someone else rise from the dead. Okay, it's starting to click now. It's like we need this. But then you hear Jesus saying, blessed are those, blessed are you, Thomas, for you've seen and believed, but more blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Why? Because it's still true. And they believe without having to see. But in John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. That's got to make you feel good, right? I got a lot of things to tell you, even more than you could handle right now. But when he, there it is, he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Sorry, I read that twice. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. And you see, Jesus is saying that you need to have a conversation, that there needs to be a conversation that is taking place that's got to continue after I'm gone. See, because I'm leaving this person that you see, this body that is standing before you, this human being that is talking to you is going, but there needs to be a conversation continuing with God after I'm gone. And the Spirit is the one who is going to be that one communicating to you, the one developing this relationship even further with you. And so he is challenging them to see and believe even though he is going to believe or be gone. This conversation needs to continue. And don't you wonder sometimes, like, God, can't you just speak and I know it's you? Anyone else ever wish that? You know, how do I know it's you, God? Or many of you wondered, does God even speak to me? I don't know. How do I know if God's speaking to you? And I'll give you a help, okay? Have you ever known that there was something wrong and something in your head said, don't do it, it's wrong? Okay, that's God. You know, you you ever 
knew that there was something you should do. You had this, oh, you should do that would be the right thing to do, probably to help someone, to show kindness, to show goodness to someone. It's like a little worm that's there in your mind just kind of walking around and it's telling you, you should do this, you should do this, and you just say, I don't want to do it. Well, that was God. And again, what needs to happen is there needs to be a connection to this. When, when God speaks to us, we are to hear Him and then we are to respond. That's again the elevation, the development of maturity. And so in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. The writer of Hebrews talks about this as well. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. So as the Holy Spirit says, who's speaking now? The Holy Spirit says. As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As he has, as has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. God spoke to his people, told them, I have a promise for you. They were in the wilderness. They did not believe what God had said. And because of their unbelief, they were unable to attain what God had for them. You see, God wanted communion with them, but the communication wasn't happening. God said, I want you to go to this land. They say, we can't go to that land. There's giants there. The people are too big. We can't do that. We do not see what you see. And so they chose to trust what they could see instead of what God had said. And that caused the problems that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. You see, God speaks to us and we have to respond. But sometimes we respond with unbelief. And so we have this unbelief and that is a response. God says something and we say, I don't think so. I I don't think that could happen. I don't think that's a good idea. Or I... Maybe don't want to do that. I'd rather do something else. We hear God clearly sometimes in those things that are wrong, but you see the sin here, it's interesting, was the sin of not believing. The sin of unbelief is not trusting God with your life. That's the sin of unbelief. It's not trusting God with your life, that 
I want to live my life my way. God, you want me to live this way, but I don't think that's right. I, I think there's more for me if I live this way than if I live your way. And that's the sin of unbelief. And you see, what happens is God speaks. God speaks. Tells you to speak to these bones. He tells you to go into the lands of promise. He tells you to live a life that is going to honor him. God speaks, but then if you answer or respond with this area of unbelief, what happens? That disobedience, then your heart, like he talked about in Hebrews, becomes hardened. So you've got a hardened heart. And when your heart becomes hardened, your ears become dull. Have you ever heard something over and over again that pretty soon you can't even hear it? I did some training, a dog training at a client's house and they had four little kids. I used to have four little kids. And I know there was a time when I think it was self-preservation. I just was able to tune them out. But it's been years since I've had four little kids and so I went into a home with four little kids and I was like, oh my gosh, the volume in this house is unbelievable. And there was the wife. She's calm as a cucumber. She's just like, uh-huh. She's listening to me. The kid's jumping in a, you know, cape next to me. And this, you know, all this craziness is going on. She had no problem. She was able, it was like it wasn't even there. And I'm like, you know, okay, yeah, I'm trying to concentrate. And it's like, I remember this. I remember I was exhausted just thinking back to it, you know. And it was one of those things where you could see that she had gotten used to this where now she's dull to their noise. For her sake, again, it's self-preservation, I think. You know, she is able to tune that out. Well, that happens to us when our hearts become hardened, our ears become dull. And if our hearing becomes dull, eventually what will happen is we just become deaf to it. We're deaf now to the voice of God because God spoke, we didn't believe, we hardened our hearts, and now our ears had become dull. And you see, a lot of times the the silence of God is just because you're deaf. It doesn't mean that God is silent. God has been speaking and speaking, and you've been disobeying and disobeying. You've been hardening your heart, hardening your heart, and your ears are dull, and pretty soon you don't even hear the voice of God, and God isn't silent. You've just become deaf. And you see, you cannot have the communion with God if you're deaf in the communication of God. And God is speaking to us through the person of His Holy Spirit, speaking into our lives to transform us, to change us, and to move us from where we are to where we should be. To take us from the people we are to the people we should be. And as you harden your heart to God, you also harden your heart to other things. You harden your heart to compassion. You harden your heart to love. 
you harden your heart to the things that are like God a lot of times, to, to generosity, to, to freedom. You know, Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, talked about the importance of vulnerability and that you can't just shut off being vulnerable because when you shut off being vulnerable, you also shut off the things that are important for your life, the things that cause wholeheartedness because it's connected. And so here are people, I don't want to be vulnerable. I'm going to protect myself. Well, you've just shut off also the things that make you a whole person. When we shut off God's voice into our lives, we shut off the things that are going to make us free, the things that are going to make us whole, the things that are going to make us complete. But the opposite is true. If God speaks and instead of unbelief, we we respond with trust. We hear God speak and we actually trust Him through those things. And then that trust doesn't lead to hardening, but it leads to us actually following God. Now, you could use the word obey because really that's what we're talking about, obeying God. But sometimes the word obey seems like it's a one-time act where following God is a continuous act. So he is speaking to us to follow him, not just to obey one time, but to live in this communion with him, to live in this harmony with him so that our hearts become soft to his voice, so that we become sensitive to his words, so that we shorten the gap between when he speaks and when we move. Matthew 13, when Jesus gives the parable of the sower and the seed, the seed falls on some hearts that are good soil, that that take that seed, take that word that God sowed and produce something. You see, God speaks and then we act and something comes of it. And, And that's the work of God's Spirit in our lives. God says something. We believe it. We follow Him and we do it. And then our lives are changed because of it. One last scripture. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. A passage that we've talked about, but I I think it's interesting connected with this passage in Ezekiel. Chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So they are all good things. All right, these are all compliments. They're, they're saying a lot of good things about you. Verse 15, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Of course it was Simon Peter, right? Because that's how he is. He just speaks. Who do people say that? Who do you say? I'll tell you who I say. And he just speaks it out. And I don't know, but I have the impression here that the other disciples were like, oh man, you said it now. That That's blasphemy. You just said he's God. And I could just see them kind of waiting for the lightning to strike, standing back for Jesus going to let him have it. And then Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You didn't get it over here. 
This didn't happen by flesh and blood. This started here. God spoke to you. You heard from God, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't tell you that. The Spirit of God told you that. Verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter. He gets a name change. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. Jesus says, God has revealed to you who I am. And now I'm going to entrust to you the keys to the kingdom. And we talked about this not too long ago. This is a powerful passage. You guys have keys. I know now they have things where you can unlock your door over your phone and things like that, but I still old school. Even my car, I don't have the push button kind yet. I got to put the key in. You see, a a key connects to something. The key is not anything great. It's what it's connected to. I remember when we got the keys to our house. I was so excited. Couldn't wait to go pick up those keys, get those keys, go in the house. And it's like, all right. This is where we're going to live. And, and all right, now the kids room going to go here. I'm going to go in. I'm going to start painting. And now we have a place. The keys connected me to something. You ever lose your keys? <laughs> no pointing fingers. <laughs> My car is useless if I don't have the keys. Right? Can't go up there. Here's my car. No, I need the key to get in the car. Same with my house. Can't get in if I don't have the keys. Jesus is telling them, giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I I was remembering back when I was just learning how to drive. My mom was teaching me how to drive. She was a patient woman. Um, but she had a sweet car. She had a Mercedes 280 SL. It was a convertible hard top. I'm still a little bitter that she sold the car when I got my license and I I had plans. But I, I can remember one time we were we were driving, I think it was from out in this area, probably West Covina or something, and we were driving back to Topanga Canyon where we lived. And it was late at night and I was getting to drive because she was with me because I had my permit. And I would always kind of drive fast because it was a cool little sports car. And my mom would say, hey, slow down, slow down. And I was 16. Slow down. Don't you know who I am? I'm Mario Andretti. I can drive this car. And so I would always kind of push it. And she would tell me, slow down. And so I would slow down. But she fell asleep. She was in the car and she fell asleep. And so I was having fun because I'm going into Panga Canyon. And it's late at night. We're the only ones on the road. And I'm just having a blast. 16-year-old with this little sports car that felt like a jet. And I was driving. And then I, I took this one corner, not quite as well as I should have. And so we actually slid out. And I remember turning. And she, of course, woke up. She's like, Sam! She just yelled and she goes, give me the keys! <laughs> All my power was gone. You see, 
she now had the keys. She was now going to decide how that car ran. She was now the one who was in charge of that vehicle because I was out of control. Jesus is saying here, I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. He, he tells Ezekiel, speak, prophesy to these bones. Declare to them. Speak to the breath. God has entrusted us who have been created in His image. We are beings who are spiritual and the Spirit of God is speaking to us. And He might be telling you something like, I want you to prophesy to the bones. He might be telling you, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. He might be telling you, I want you to share your faith with this person. He might be telling you, I want you to start a non-profit or I want you to endeavor to help these people who are in need. Whatever God is saying, it's going to be in line with the character of who He is, with the wisdom that He gives and with the gifts that He will empower us to do those things. But God will be speaking to us and sometimes it will seem audacious sometimes it'll seem like that's foolish god bones don't come together i can't speak to breath god you don't understand who i am and god is saying no you don't understand who you are you don't understand who I have created you to be. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Don't you know I have entrusted the keys to the kingdom in your care that you could say to this mountain, be lifted up and be removed, and it would be done. Not because mountains need to be moved, but because God is willing and able to do through us more than we could begin to imagine but we get locked in here we we lose this communication and god speaks and no that can't be you god that's too difficult no it can't be you god because you don't understand the hard time that i'm having i can't forgive that person god you don't know what they've done to me and god is saying i've spoken to you you need to follow me you need to obey you need to do because once you do this then you get to see that your trust in me actually produces the impossible. It actually changes what happens. I know my son won't mind, and, and so I'm going to share a story with him. My son was uh, dealing with a lot of addictions, and we could do nothing to help him, and we tried to do everything to help him. Everything. You, you name it. We've probably tried it. Tried reasoning with him. Tried forcing him. Tried, of course, praying for him. And we, we did all these things, but there was nothing in our ability to change him. But when he said, I want to be someone else, he actually became someone else else when he heard the voice of god saying you're gonna die if you stay like this you need to stop and he said okay i'm going to listen took that unbelief put it into trust followed god and it brought about the change in his life 
Put yourself in your circumstances. God, you don't understand what I'm going through. I'm this kind of person. I've got this kind of background. God is telling you, speak to the bones. I want you to speak and proclaim to the breath. I want you to take the keys to the kingdom. I want you to believe what I am saying to you. I want you to follow me and it will produce the impossible in you and through you. The fulfillment of Ezekiel was Jesus. He was the restoration of the nation. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit, the same person who raised Jesus from the dead is able to bring life to your and my mortal bodies. He's able to make us alive. The the questions then are for us, What are we going to do? When God speaks to us, are we going to follow? And if you're having a hard time hearing the voice of God, it's probably because you're not believing. And maybe you've become a little hardened and your ears are becoming a little dull. Because God is saying, I want you to speak to this area of your life. And you're saying, I can't, God, I can't. That's too strong. It's too difficult. It's too hard. Whatever that unbelief is. And what that unbelief starts to do is starts to dull your hearing. I loved rock and roll music growing up in high school. And so I played in some bands and it always sounded better when it was loud. But it has an effect on your hearing. And so there are frequencies that are invisible to me now. My daughter can hear things, and I'm like, what? Don't you hear that? Yeah, I heard heard that. It sounds like Ted's phone. (laughs) (laughs) It's on tape now, Ted, forever. It's like, I, I I don't hear that. Yeah, because you become dull to it. You're, you're hearing the senses, those little hairs in the ear that pick up the vibrations, they're gone. And they no longer hear. You see, if you keep hardening your heart, pretty soon the Spirit of God's voice becomes more distant, more distant. And then it seems like He doesn't speak at all because you're deaf to it, but it's not that He doesn't speak. You lost your hearing. But the same thing is true if you hear and follow. You hear and obey. Pretty soon you start to find yourself walking in step with him. And if you close that gap of when he speaks and when you respond, pretty soon you find yourself walking in step in communion with God. Because the Spirit, just like he revealed to Peter who Jesus was, will reveal to you who you are and who God has created you to be. And then you have the choice. Are you going to believe what God says about you? Or are you going to make up who you think you should be? And I want to ask, when was the last time you heard the Spirit of God speak to you? And if it's been a while, 
then let's use tonight as the opportunity to fine-tune our hearing. Let's pray. Father, even now as, Lord, that question has been posed, when have you spoken to us? God, I, I pray right now that you would continue speaking. God, you are always speaking. Father, there is something in our lives that you are speaking to us. Maybe it's a circumstance that we have been disobedient in. Maybe it's something that we're refusing to let go of. But I pray that tonight we would hear your voice. And that we wouldn't respond with unbelief. But we would respond like Ezekiel. We would proclaim what you are speaking to us. That we would, Lord, see the reality that you are declaring and see it as our reality that we'd have these kinds of eyes, eyes of faith, that don't just see the material, that don't just live in a material world, but hear the spiritual and believe the things that are yet unseen to be true. True about who we are, true about what you have for us to do, true about what you want to do through us, through our community. Lord, I pray that we are hearing your voice right now. But that still small whisper is being heard in our souls. Lord, now, how will we respond? Where will we go from here? Lord, that will determine the next step of communication. If we will move from just being bones and flesh to actually having breath or to be actually taking those keys and opening up those doors being people who are in communion with you, the living God who speaks, reveals, and gives life through your Spirit. Continue to speak to us, and Lord, may we hear and obey. In Jesus' name.